open up there. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, welcome everybody to this evening's big book study, um, Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is the 29th of January 2022. My name is Audrey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from County Mead in Ireland. And I'm your host for today's study. Our co-hosts are Maria F, Nancy J, and Tammy M. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either the host or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answer sessions which follows will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please watch <coughs> the video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from the screen from any time. We will post a link to the previous weeks and the seventh tradition in the chat function. I will now turn you over to Harlan G. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Maria. And uh... Thank you for, for your service and thank you to everyone who makes this meeting possible. There are more people than just I that make this possible. There are people who manage the treasury. There are people who make sure that we have our Zoom room and that the Zoom room is an adequate room with which we can add the people. We've been getting about 150 or so a week and they're making sure that we can accommodate that and keeping everything right. So there are more hands in the, in the broth than mine. So I wanna thank each and every one of, you, one of you who makes it possible. We were talking last week about the doctor's opinion. And in the doctor's opinion, which is the foundation stone of our recovery program, Dr. Silkworth, Dr. William Duncan Silkworth came up with his opinion through sheer observation. He didn't have scientific backing. He didn't run tests in a laboratory. What he did was he simply observed thousands of people who came through Towns Hospital in New York City. Now it's an apartment building and Towns Hospital in its heyday was the premier drying out facility for the rich and famous. Uh, Bill Wilson landed there because his brother-in-law, uh, Leonard Strong, was a doctor. He was an osteopathic physician, as was Bill's mother. Bill's mother was one of the first female osteopathic physicians, and she practiced in Boston, Massachusetts. And Bill's father was an alcoholic, and Bill's mother and father divorced when he was 10 years old, which left a lot of emotional damage on Bill. We're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to Bill's story. But that's how Bill ended up at the Towns Hospital. And the Towns Hospital at 293 Central Park West in New York was the place where Bill met Dr. Silkworth. And Dr. Silkworth observed all these people from November of 1929 through October of 19 or April of 1934, literally thousands of people. And then when they were writing the big book, he had a chance to observe even more. 
Uh, he died in 51, but he was asked to write his opinion for the big book. And this chapter is the foundation stone of step number one. So I want to be very, very clear that the big book chapters are all correspondent to steps. Chapters, doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there is a solution and more about alcoholism are all step one. I know how to say that in Italian. I did the Italian meeting yesterday. You say step one by saying passo prima. Passo prima is step one in Italian. I don't know how to say step two or any of the other ones, but I know how to say that. I've been listening to the translator, Barbara. Passo prima is step one, that I'm sure of. I even verified it with her. But anyway, so Dr. Silkworth gives us some information that has never in the centuries, centuries of people pondering what about alcoholism is it that makes these people drink to such a degree that they not only destroy their own lives, but they destroy the lives of the people around them. And it is surmised. Now, I don't have any backing for this. This is just something that people say. If we were in a Yiddish thing, I would say this is an old booby mindset. What's a booby mindset? Booby means grandmother. Bubby means grandmother. And a mindset is a story. So it's a booby mindset. But it's really, really true from my observation. In the vortex of every alcoholic, they usually take seven people down with them. And in the vortex of a compulsive overeater, we usually take about seven people down with us. I know for a fact, in my case, uh, I didn't take anybody down like my wife or my child with my eating. No, that I didn't do uh, permanently. But what I did do is I devastated my parents. My parents didn't agree on much, but one of the things that they agreed on, and this was the only time that they weren't throwing pots and pans at each other, and they weren't swearing at each other and telling each other that they hated each other and yelling and screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. But one of the things that they definitely agreed on was, oh my God, what are we going to do about our son? He is out of control with his food. And that was one of the things that I did was, unfortunately, my mother went to God in tears over my eating, and my father went to God in tears over his eating, as over my eating as well. So they were both very concerned about my weight and my eating as they died. That was one of the last thoughts on their mind was, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to my son? But anyway, back to our, back to our purpose. Dr. Silkworth writes in the first letter that we are hopeless. And what we mean by hopeless is we're, we have to be out of ideas. We have to be hopeless. We have to be out of ideas. And while I hold on to vestiges of ideas and how I'm going to work this myself, my way, I am not going to recover, guys. I have to surrender from the core of my soul. And in order for me to surrender, I'm usually going to have to smack a very hard bottom. I'm going to have to smack up against a lot of intense pain. And that's the teacher for me is pain. Pain is my teacher. Pain is my regulator. 
pain is my instructor. It is very, very important that I not for anyone else prevent catastrophe or cause catastrophe because from that catastrophe might come their recovery. And this is very, very important. But Dr. Silkworth tells us something that had never been considered before. See, in all the millennium, and we talked about this last week. We talked about Solomon, the king of Israel. He wrote in the book of Solomon, he wrote that he believed that alcoholism was indeed an illness, but he couldn't prove it. And he had no cure for it. He had no remedy for it. I'm reticent to use the word cure, even though they did throw that word around a lot. Before the big book was written, they positioned themselves in 35, 36, and parts of 37 as having a cure for alcoholism. I'm very reticent to use that word because alcoholism cannot be cured. Alcoholism can only be uh, remedied. And the remedy is very temporary. And it is contingent upon our spiritual condition. If my spiritual condition deteriorates, I will be back in the food. If my spiritual condition does not deteriorate, and I continue to work my program, there's no reason on God's earth for me ever to go back into the food. And that's promised to me in several different places in the big book, but primarily page 85. And on page 85 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is promised to me that after describing this condition of neutrality, it is promised to me that as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition, that I will remain neutral to the nuances of the Reese's peanut butter cups, the Chips Ahoy cookies, and what have you, the pizza and God knows what else. And I have found that to be true. But he introduces this concept of a physical component. And he says, any description of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical uh, factor is incomplete. And Dr. Silkworth's observations, two things about these observations, and we'll get to this week, but I always like to take a little look back before we go forward. And that's just my way. And you know that if you've been here before. Dr. Silkworth is the first person. Thank God for Dr. Silkworth. Do us all a favor today. Say a prayer when you get a moment for the soul of Dr. William Duncan Silkworth. He's the little doctor who loved drunks. And without him, there is no program, which means I'm in a piano case outside Chicago in a place called Waldheim Cemetery, where it's very, very cold and very, very snowy today. And I don't want to be in Waldheim Cemetery until it's time. But if it if if it wasn't for Dr. Silkworth, I fear where your life would be as well. Whether you're in recovery right now or you're on that struggle bus, the reason that we have a program of recovery today is because of a little doctor who loved drunks named William D. Silkworth. And he said that any description of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor, is incomplete. And this is the first time that anyone introduced a physical part of it. And he calls it the allergy. And that allergy of the body is permanent. 
It doesn't, it never goes away. But the only thing I can do so as not to trigger the allergy is I don't have to ingest substances, ingredients, foods that trigger that physical allergy. And that physical allergy is the craving that is set up once the certain French fries or cookies or pizza or donuts, whatever that may be. For me, it's sugar in any form, artificial sweetener in any form. I'm talking about me now. I'm not talking about you. So don't please don't assail me in questions and answers and say, I can eat this and I can eat that. I'm talking just about me now. Anything fried uh, with that breading on it, that's got to go for me because that's a trigger. Sugar, so I'm not salt, sugar, um, uh, uh, um, uh, dairy, I cannot consume dairy with safety. If you can, hey, God bless you. I'm not telling you. I'm just talking about myself right now. Every time I eat cheeses, every time I eat any dairy, it jazzes me up and it acts as an amphetamine in my system. And the more I eat, the more I want, the more I want, the more I eat. And it's just endless. It's just endless. And Dr. Silkworth also at the end of what we covered last week. Now he's gonna tell us this three times. It must be pretty important because the doctor's opinion is only set eight pages long. And in eight pages, he is gonna tell us this three times at the end of the session that we had last week. What does he say? He leaves us with this. More often than not, it is imperative. What's imperative? Important beyond all else. Imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he then has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. What does that mean? It means we have to be clear of the food before we begin the steps. Now, I know that that's not what some of us want to hear. I didn't want to hear it, but I can't be eating M&Ms while I'm doing my fourth step. It's just not going to work. M&Ms with peanuts. I don't know who buys the other M&Ms. Obviously, these are not Jewish people buying the other M&Ms. Why would you buy the other M&Ms when you can get the ones with peanuts in them for the same price? I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand that mentality, but anyway, I digress here. Okay. So bottom line is M&Ms and I have to part company, but it's more than just M&Ms. And if you turn them upside down, it's W and W, you can pass them off as Weight Watchers. But anyway, that aside, okay. So now we have a situation where 42 ounce steaks, I sponsor a man, this is no lie, I'm not making this up. I sponsor a man who was in Texas. I don't know where he was in Texas. It was Dallas or Houston or whatever, San Antonio or whatever. He ate a 64 ounce steak in an hour and got it for free. He's got his name up on the wall of this book, 64 ounce steak. Now I'm a, I'm a huge eater, but I don't think I could finish a 64 ouncer. I don't think I could. I think I would wretch if I tried that. I'm more of a grazer. I'm not I'm not one for 64 ounce steak. This guy ate a 64 ounce steak. Wow, I said, man, 
salute what you my head is off to you i don't think i could have done that even in my freaking heyday i don't think i could have done that but anyway i don't know the name of the place or the city but i'll have to ask him again but there's a deal where if you finish a 64 ounce steak in an hour and they time you i guess and they put a piece of paper on your shirt or something or on your table they'll write down the time if you get finish it in an hour no charge you walk out no charge anyway why am i talking about this who cares okay all right now so dr silkworth is telling us that we cannot be in the food while we're working the steps. So two days of abstinence, and there's more to it than just M&Ms and 64 ounce steaks. If I'm eating five ounces of fish instead of four, or if I'm eating nine ounces of chicken instead of five or six, which I'm allowed on my food plan six, but the bottom line, or yeah, chicken, if it's boiled, I can get eight. But the bottom line is, Sorry, the bottom line is we have to be within the parameters of abstinence all over the place. In other words, total abstinence. We're either overeating or we're not. And we're going to talk about that for just a minute. And then we're going to go into today's part. But total and complete abstinence means more than just no McDonald's milkshakes and French fries. Okay. It means more than just no M&Ms. It means more than just no pizza. It means that I am abstaining that I am free of all foods and amounts of foods that are not on my food plan. Very, very important that we are practicing total abstinence when we go into these situations. And then after a couple of days, absolutely, now we can work the steps. We still can't pick up and boy, it's gonna suck. I remember early abstinence. I was nauseated for like six days, five days. I was, I was dry heaving. I had headaches in the back of my head. I was so nervous and tense. You know how they tell you when don't eat so much, you'll feel better. Man, they were right. When I don't eat so much, I feel anger better. I feel fear better. I feel crushes on girls better. I feel all kinds of jealousies and anger. I feel all that stuff much better. And as those feelings burst to the surface inside of me, my brain is going to be screaming, for Reese's peanut butter cups. Why? Because Reese's peanut butter cups will give me the relief from that pain. It will, it will numb me out. And my brain knows that. And that's when I have to lean into the fellowship. So if you're going to ask me, Harlan, how do you put the food down? Here's my answer. You put it down by putting it down. But you said I'm powerless over food. How am I going to put the food down? You are powerless, but you're not helpless. You are powerless, but you are not helpless. You can put it down. It's going to suck. It if it didn't suck, then you're in the wrong place. If putting the food down does not suck, 
you're in the wrong place. Because putting the food down for a compulsive overeater is going to be a difficult situation at best. It's going to suck. There's no two ways about it. If you're on the anorexic side or you are on the bulimic side, you are going to have to stop the bulimic behaviors and you are going to have to eat what's on your food plan. All of it. All of it. No restricting, no starving, no bulimia, no nothing. Total and complete abstinence. Let's go to the top of page XXV. I, I, that's X, X, V, I, I in the fourth edition, in the fourth edition. Very important. Okay. My friend, Anne-Marie has always had a third edition. So she's always like, what's the page and what's the, now she has a fourth edition and we're all very, very happy about that. Now, this is the second letter that Dr. Silkworth writes for us, the second letter. We're going to see what it says here. The doctor writes, I'm on page XXVII, top of the page. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to be of paramount importance. What does paramount mean? It's another word for imper imperative. Paramount means that it is at the top of the list of important things. Paramount, the top. Importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. Towns Hospital was founded in 1905. It closed its doors in 1965. And that space in New York City today is an apartment building. But many people have gone there to just take their picture in front of it and to just think about all the Bill Wilsons, Lois Wilson, Hank Parkhurst, Dr. Silkworth, Dr. Towns, um, Fitz Mayo, all these people that are so integral to our history that have walked in and out of that building, both as a patient. Now, Dr. Bob was never a patient there, but these guys would go there and talk to to Silkworth and maybe talk to some of the patients as no one else could. And we're going to be talking about that as we go to the next page. But for right now, he's talking about the Towns Hospital in New York. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, spiritual awakening, was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. When he says our conception, he's talking about medicine's conception. Remember, he's writing from the standpoint of a doctor of our conception, what with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good, God, that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Now, this paragraph is very important. What is this paragraph saying to us? This paragraph is saying something that the doctors, when I was a little boy, didn't tell me. And the doctors, when I was not such a little boy, didn't tell me. 
And this is what Dr. Silkworth is telling us as he writes this in 1938. He is saying to you and I and the thousands of unborn alcoholics and unborn addicts that are going to be born a thousand to 10,000 years from now, he is saying, we as doctors know what's wrong with you and there's nothing we can do for you. Nothing. That when I was nine years old, 1963, right after Kennedy was killed, and, and Kennedy was killed November 22nd, 63. So this would be no, uh, December of 63, something like that. I was put on heavy duty amphetamines, <clears throat> heavy duty amphetamines, diet pills, and they curbed my appetite. And it said right on the bottle, I'll never forget this, take three of these each day to curb your appetite. This was from a doctor. It was from Rosen's Drugstore on Devon Avenue, Devon in Sacramento. I'm a West Rogers Park boy. But I had to take those pills to curb my appetite. And boy, did it curb my appetite. Holy mackerel, food was the last thing on my mind. But man, if I wasn't half nuts before they put me on the amphetamines, I was double, triple nuts on the amphetamines. I couldn't sleep. You sleep about 15, 20 minutes a month. Uh, I get accused of this now, but you say the same thing like 82 times in a row or 300 times in a row. You can't stop yourself. And you can't hear anything that anybody is saying to you. It sounds like the guy behind me, Charlie Brown. It sounds like his teacher. That's what it sounds like. So nothing's getting in. Nothing's going out. I'm half nuts, but I'm not eating. And you know what? I, I found something out. Abstinence does not treat this disease. Now that's a big shock for a lot of us, right? We lose all this weight and we think if I just lost weight, everything would be fantastic, peachy keen. Losing weight does not treat the disease. I mean, that's so contrary to everything you hear every day. You know, you hear this on vision, you hear it at every meeting you go to. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Abstinence is very important, but abstinence alone doesn't treat this disease. When we get to chapter three, we're going to read about a guy who was doing a great deal of spree drinking and he decided he wasn't going to drink anymore until he was successful in business. And for 25 years, between the time he was 30 and the time he was 55 years old, he didn't touch a drop of liquor. You would figure if you had 25 years of sobriety, you're, you would be pretty fixed up by then, right? He was dead within four years. Why? Because the disease is permanent. The disease is progressive. The disease is fatal if untreated. And how do you treat the disease? You treat this disease with a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Abstinence alone does not treat the disease. It's vital. Don't go around saying Harlan said we don't have to be abstinent. I didn't say that. What I said was abstinence alone will not treat 
this illness. You must have a spiritual awakening. And what Silkworth is telling you in this last paragraph that we read is you need some God, you need some spiritual awakening. And I, as a doctor, cannot give that to you. They could treat the drunks and they did. They could feed them and they did. And they could look after their medical needs, but they couldn't infuse a moral, uh, not a moral, they couldn't infuse a uh, spiritual awakening in any of them because it's outside the parameters of what they could do as doctors. Very, very important, very important. Let's continue. So the doctor is as powerless over the alcoholic as the alcoholic is powerless over alcohol. The doctor is also powerless. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. He's talking about Bill Wilson. And Bill is going to write in Bill's story about three hospitalizations at Towns Hospital. But Bill also has a little bit of a forgetter. He has a little bit of a famished thing going here. And sometimes he gets stuff wrong, too, because there's evidence that he was actually in there four times. There is evidence that he was in there four times rather than three. But whether he was in there three times or eight times or 71 times, it doesn't mean a damn thing. What we're looking at here is we're observing that something happened to him. His infusion of the Oxford Group principles came into his life in December, November, December of 1934. He will enter the hospital on December 11th drunk and after two days of, of sobriety on the 14th of December, 1934, he will work the steps with God, with Ebby in the town's hospital, and he will never drink liquor again as long as he lives. So something happened. Silkworth had a part of it? Absolutely, absolutely. But Silkworth couldn't give Bill what Bill really needed. And what Bill really needed was, yes, he needed his medical needs to be looked out for. He needed to be fed. He was underweight considerably. He had alcoholic gastritis. He needed certain medical attention. Absolutely. I'm not saying he didn't, but it was the Oxford group People practicing first century Christianity to the best of their ability. It was started by Frank Buckman. It was, and, and the person who was the front man in the United States was Sam Shoemaker. And uh, uh, Bill didn't meet Buckman, but he met Sam Shoemaker. And Ebby was going to the Oxford group. And he met a guy in there by the name of Shep Cornell. And he met a guy in there by the name of Roland Hazard. And he met a guy in there by the name of Zebra Braves Jr. What did all these guys have in common? Ebby, Roland, Shep, Zebra, and Bill Wilson. What did they all have in common? They were all alcoholics. 
and they stayed sober working the, what was then a loosely bound six-step program of the Oxford group that these guys adapted into a step program. The Oxford group really wasn't for drunks. It wasn't really a step program, but what it was was people practicing first century Christianity because they felt Buckman felt and they felt that Christians had lost their enthusiasm for Christ. Enthusiasm, there's a good word for the morning, entheos, it's Greek, entheos from God, enthusiasm, entheos, entheos in Greek means from God. Theology comes from that Greek word. Theologian comes from that Greek word. Okay, very important. Let's continue. We're on page XXVII, and we're toward the bottom of the page. Later, he requested, he's still talking about Bill, the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. Some misgiving, my foot. They didn't want him speaking to the patients. He's not a licensed counselor. He's not a doctor. He's not a psychiatrist. He's nothing. He's just a drunk. And they were very trepidatious about having Bill Wilson, who they've treated in their hospital. And his condition was described by Dr. Silkworth after his second visit there. Dr. Silkworth wrote chronic, hopeless alcoholic. And he informed Lois Wilson that Bill needs to be in, a, in an institution or you're going to take him to the undertaker. And Lois got some pamphlets from Dr. Silkworth about laughing academies that she should put Bill in. And so they did not want him speaking to their patients. And he kept it up and he kept it up because when he had his spiritual awakening, when he had his spiritual experience, excuse me, Bill did not have a spiritual awakening like I did. An awakening is slow and a spiritual experience is quick, andale, schnell, very quick, very sudden. He felt that God told him to sober up drunks and they noticed something right away. They also offered Bill a job later on. They offered him a job at Towns because he was, he was getting through to these guys where they couldn't. Charlie Towns wasn't an alcoholic. Dr. Silkworth wasn't an alcoholic. The other doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, and, and, and whatever they had on staff there, nurses and other, they were not alcoholics. But Bill could connect with these people in a way they could not. And they started to see the unbelievable crowbar that one alcoholic could open up the natural aversion that these alcoholics had of telling the truth to a doctor, of telling the truth to anybody, because we as compulsive overeaters have a belief most of the time, I know I did, that the way I ate and the way I thought about eating and the things that happened to me because of eating, the pissing and crapping in my pants, 
the splitting of my pants, the gaining of weight, the hideous people that, that, not the hideous people, but the hideous experience that I've had of being an object of ridicule. When I went out into public, children would laugh at me and adults would, would make fun of me. I was an object of ridicule no matter where I went or what I did. And whether I was having a good day or a bad day, it was always there. Children speak their mind, and thousands of them have asked me, why are you so fat? My daddy says, you're really fat. Why are you so fat? I have been asked that a thousand times by children that I do not even know. But Bill Wilson could get me talking about that, and you can get me talking about that a lot easier than any psychiatrist or doctor, maybe not now, but you get the point. When I'm not in recovery, if I'm just coming in, I'm not gonna talk about that stuff. That's not stuff I wanna talk to somebody about that's never experienced it. Most of you have never experienced that either, but you have your own hell that you've gone through. And Bill could get these guys to open up by just talking about himself. And they saw what was happening, and they saw that it was wonderful. Let's continue. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power. Notice power is capitalized. He's talking about God in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So Bill Wilson is teaching Silkworth that one alcoholic can reach another alcoholic in ways that are deeper quicker and more intimate than any doctor. Yes, medicine has its place. I go to my cardiologist every six months. I talk to a nutritionist. <clears throat> I go to the regular doctor. I go get my teeth cleaned. I have to have my teeth cleaned four times a year because I have periodontal, I have gum disease. <sighs> I do the best that I can to take care of myself medically. I don't know if they have pills, but I need to ask the doctor for a pill because as I'm getting older, I'm getting hair in my ears and I spit when I talk. I don't like either development, hair in my ears or I spit now when I talk, don't like it. But the bottom line is, is that I do the best that I can to take care of myself medically. And when I needed a knee replacement or a hip replacement, I didn't go to the meeting at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club and throw myself down and say, okay, give me a knee replacement or give me a hip replacement. I went to an orthopedic surgeon. But when I wanna eat McDonald's French fries, when I feel like I really, really miss the egg rolls at Kumun on Devon and Richmond in Chicago, or Cow Cow from Devon and Maplewood in Chicago, or I miss a good red hot ranch uh, uh, bag of greasy 
toxic fries and a couple of their hot dogs or Polish sausages over on Albany and Devon between Albany and Troy on Devon. When I want to go see Isabel Deutsch and get a couple of hot dogs and a couple order of fries, I better get my ass to a meeting or I better pick up that 20,000 pound telephone and start calling somebody quickly. I don't call the doctor and say, hey, doc, listen, Isabel Deutsch hasn't had a visit from me. Okay, go get him cheeseburger. Uh, what's on it? Okay, sure. I'll bring you one. No problem. I don't do that. I get my ass in gear and I serve other people. I get my ass in gear and I do whatever's necessary to help someone else out. I get out of myself. I'm not bothering anybody. I'm not pestering anybody by making an outreach call. They need to get the call as much or more than I need to make it. I'm helping them. You're not bothering me either. You call me, you might be the call that saves my life. Let's continue. Now, this is the second time the doctor's opinion is eight pages. There is one of you that is going to the bathroom or something, and we can see things we're probably not supposed to see here, and you probably want to turn off your camera. You probably want to turn off your camera, and I think that it would be the best of all ideas is to turn off your camera. Okay, bottom line is, okay, so this is the second time that he is going to tell us this. And so it must be pretty important. Of course, almost like, of course, of, I mean, as a matter of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Now, not all of us went to the hospital. Not all of us want to go to the hospital, whatever. But we have to do what we have to do. But for the second time in eight pages, this is the second and of three times, he is going to tell us, put down the food. Put down the food. Now, you're going to ask me in questions and answers, how do I put down the food? You put it down by putting it down. It's not that complicated. You don't have to overthink it. You put it down by putting it down. That means all of it. Not just the M&Ms, not just the sugar, not just the French fries. You put all of it down. I don't care if it's tuna fish. If your food plan says six ounces of tuna or four ounces of tuna, and you eat 18 ounces of tuna, yeah, technically tuna is abstinent, depending upon what you what I put on it. I mean, if I'm going to add uh, Miracle Whip or something, then no, it's not. But the bottom line is, <clears throat> is that if I'm eating over in tuna or over in boiled chicken, or I'm eating a yak for lunch, a 1200 pound yak. And I'm thinking, well, I took off the tail. I took off the head. Yeah, that looks like four ounces. Sure. It's 14 feet long and 12 feet wide. And it weighs about 1500 pounds, but there's no sugar in a yak. No, that's not abstinent guys. It's not abstinent. Put it down. You need help putting it down. That's why we have a sponsor. That's why we have a sponsor. Okay. 
Let's go to page XXVIII, one of the most important pages in the world, because we're going to be talking about some things. Oh my God, really? It's a, oh my Lord. Every time I look at the clock, I'm like shocked that it's that late. But anyway, let's just do the best we can. XXVIII or 18 in Roman numerals, 18 in Hebrew, very, very important. It means chai, yud ches. Yud ches means 18. Yud is 10, ches is eight. And that means life. The word chai means life. So if you've ever wondered what some of these necklaces are that some Jewish people wear, it looks like a comma and a other kind of thing. That's chai and that means life. Okay, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. There's that word again, allergy. What does allergy mean? It means an adverse, abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage, or a substance. An adverse, abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage, or a substance. And the, the reaction that I get to McDonald's french fries is harmful, and most people do not react the way I do. If I go over to the Red Hot Ranch, and I say, I want an order of those greasy, toxic <laughs> fries that used to eat through the bag. You know the kind of fries I'm talking about. Okay. Now, if I get an order of those, when I am done with that order of fries, I have an adverse abnormal reaction. Most people can't even finish an order of those fries. When I finish my order of fries, I want more and more and more and more. I, I'm going out to dinner tonight with 25 people. We have friends in that are from Chicago and they're here for getting the hell out of the weather. And the, the weather in Chicago is bad this week. It's going to get worse next week. So I'm going out to dinner tonight with 25 people. And the fact that I'm the only one that's not retired and the only one that's single doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me much. Okay, now, but I'm going out to dinner with 25 people tonight. And every one of those people is not a compulsive overeater. That's a terrible way to say that. None of those people are compulsive overeaters. That's better. Okay. When they get halfway done with their dinner, about half to three quarters of them are going to say, could I have a box and take the rest back to my hotel? They can't finish an entire dinner. There's no way they're going to finish an entire dinner, especially with where we're going. There's no way they're going to finish that. And so they're going to ask for a box. When I would be halfway done with my dinner, not tonight, because I'm made before I go actually, but um, the bottom line is when I'd be halfway done with my dinner, I'd be saying, you're going to eat that? You're going to finish that? And I'd be eating my dinner and I'd be looking to finish any one of their dinners that they don't want. Because I have tripwired that physical allergy, adverse, abnormal reaction. It's harmful and it's not the way normal people react. That the phenomenon of craving, 
Why does he call it a phenomenon? He calls it a phenomenon because he really doesn't understand where it comes from. He just knows that it's there, okay? Is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. The average temperate eater doesn't look around to see who didn't finish their pizza who didn't finish their what have you, so they can snarf it up. They get all the food they want every time they sit down to a meal. And when you look at restaurant portions, they're so large most of the time that they cannot even finish them. That's why they have boxes and bags at these restaurants so people can take that food back to their hotels because most of the people don't finish. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. What is he telling you again? We cannot use those foods in any form at all. Yeah, M&Ms have a lot of sugar. Well, maybe the ketchup doesn't have as much sugar, which actually it does. But so I'll use ketchup and I'll use the salad dressing that's full of sugar, but I won't eat M&Ms. I'm kidding myself, boys and girls. I'm kidding myself. It doesn't work that way. I'm either eating sugar, I'm eating crusty French fried things, I'm eating white flour, I'm eating rice, or I'm not, or dairy, and or I'm not. And those things have to be eliminated. I know I'm talking about a lot of the same stuff over and over again, but our brains are wired not to let that information in. And most of you will discount that information because of a phenomenon called the the, uh, mental blank spot. And the only way to remember that I'm allergic is to constantly teach this to others. If I'm not constantly teaching this to other people, I will forget it too. I've been in these rooms for 42 years. February 2nd, God willing, I'll have 43 years in in these rooms. 43 years I have been listening to this book being talked about and analyzed and studied, and I will forget in a heartbeat I will forget it in a heartbeat because I have a mental blank spot. Clancy Imaslin, one of my heroes, Clancy is one of my heroes. And Clancy said, we do not get this program by absorbing spiritual information. We get this program by transmitting spiritual information. Very important. We have to transmit. That's why we have to get you sponsoring. And if you're not sponsoring because you're not there yet in the steps, we need to get you there as quickly as we can, because that's the only way to really have immunity from the food. Once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, of course, I'm going to lose my self-confidence. The one person I least trusted in the world was me. I lied to me every day. I swore oaths in the mirror. I swore oaths on a Bible. I swore oaths in front of God and most of his children. I'm not going to eat this way anymore. And there I was doing it yet again. I couldn't stop myself. 
you don't think I really wanted to be 335 pounds as a senior at Mather High School in Chicago, do you? You don't think I really wanted to be 500 pounds as a sophomore in college, do you? You don't think that I wanted to be 600 pounds by the time I graduated college, do you? I didn't know how to stop myself from falling off the mountain. I couldn't grab a tree. I couldn't grab a rock. They were going by too fast. And so I did the one thing that I knew to do. I knew to keep eating so that maybe mercifully, quickly, I would die. I wanted death more than I wanted life. I had given up. I had given up. I wanted that cemetery plot in Waldheim Cemetery on Des Plaines Avenue out there in Forest Park, Illinois. I wanted to be near my dad. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do because nothing I tried worked. And I was out of ideas and I was out of hope. And I didn't want to live. And I wanted to piss away the one life God gave me. I wanted to spit in God's face and say, you keep your damn life, God. I want out. And by the way, F you for giving me life. Give F you for giving me life. I don't want to live in this world because I am a laughing stock, and that's not what I was intended for. And God whispered on the one ember of my heart that wasn't burned up yet. And it burst into flames. And I'm alive today. And I remember what my childhood was like, because most of the people, not all, but most of the people that my dad knew were people that walked out of the concentration camps, Auschwitz primarily because of that's what was in Poland, some Dachau, some Birkenbelsen, but mostly Auschwitz. And they had seen life and humanity at its worst. They had seen firsthand the greatest crime ever perpetrated against humanity. And they would pinch my cheek and they would say, live until you die. Live until you die. And for decades of my life, I thought live until you die meant you get your ass over to Geno's East you get your butt over to Uno's and eat all the pizza you can eat because that's living. And I found out that there is a better way. And the better way is through the working of the steps. The better way, the easier, softer way is to surrender to this simple program. And that there is no greater joy then passing this to the still sick and suffering. Let's continue and see if we can finish this, maybe this in the next paragraph, but I don't think about the next. Have lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human. No human power could have relieved me. Their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Of course, my problems became astonishingly difficult to solve. I had no nothing. I had no reserve left for homework. I had no reserve left for making a living. My entire life was swallowed up by the food. 
the procurement of it, the writing of the bad checks, the lying to myself, the physical pain that I was in, the swelling in my ankles, the thighs rubbing together. Everything about my life was painful and horrific. There was no nice part of life. I went on my first date with a girl. I was 35 years old. 35 years old. I went on my first date with a girl. The loneliness that I knew in this disease, the asexual existence, the ridicule, the pain, the alienation of a world that has family and people that included each other. I didn't have any of that. I had wonderful friends, but I had no family. By the time I was 24, my mother and father were dead. I, had, I don't have brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins. I don't have any of that. So I was completely alone. Let's see if we can tackle the next paragraph in the minutes we have left. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. What is frothy emotional appeal? In a beer, you have the suds, the, 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 the head, and then you have the beer. The froth is the top. It's, it lacks substance. It looks like it has something, but it lacks any kind of substance. Bribing me, browbeating me, embarrassing me, shaming me, emotionally whipping me, giving me rewards to lose weight mean nothing. There was a basketball player who came to speak at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club, and they said that in his contract, they put in a $13 million clause that if he could stay sober the entire season, they would pay him $13 million. And he was drunk the first night. They tested him and he was drunk the first night. He couldn't last one day. Now, if $13 million doesn't motivate a person, then we have to assume that we are beyond human aid, that nothing that is of this world is going to make a difference. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. Let's go to page 124. If you're following along, I know we're close to the end, but just come with me to page 124. And we're going to cover a little ground here that's going to explain why I went through what I went through and why you went through what you went through. Let's go to page 124 in the middle of the one, two, the second paragraph. It says, cling to the thought. It's toward the end of the paragraph. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. So every piece of shit that you ate, every embarrassment that you went through, everything in your life, that you swallowed, not in food, I'm talking embarrassment, I'm talking BS, everything that you went through in your life 
has a purpose in God's world. God doesn't waste anything. God is going to use your pain, your torture, your hell to save somebody else's life. And in saving their life, you will help God save yours too. What a world we live in today. What a world we live in today where all of the embarrassment and all of the kids that laughed at me and all of the times that I looked around at a world that I literally didn't fit into, I'm going to use that for God's good. What a miracle. What a miracle. Only here. Only here. Let's continue. We're going to talk more about this next week, but let's continue. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. We have to hold God's hand and work the steps. You have to hold God's hand and work the steps. You are uniquely qualified. Your message has depth and weight. Your message can be life-giving because no one else but a compulsive overeater speaks and understands our language of the heart. To speak and understand the language of the heart is the greatest thing that you could do for another person. You have that power. You have that information. And you can speak to them in a way that no one else can. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. We're going to talk more about this paragraph, the last one that we read next week. But we're going to turn it over for questions and answers. But before we turn it over, I'm going to ask you guys to please, no math questions for sure, no math and no, if no food questions. I have no idea what your food plan is or should be. And my food plan hopefully is of no interest to you. No food, no math. And if you asked a question last week, I'm going to ask you, please step back, step back and let people ask a question that have not asked one last week. And then at the end, if there is time, which there usually is, even if you asked a question last week, that you can come forward. But please give the people that did not an opportunity. So with that, no food, no math. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Nancy J out in not Lake Geneva, Switzerland, but Geneva, Illinois on the Fox River, where it's going to be well below zero for the next weeks with, with the wind chill factor. And if you've never experienced cold, we'll put you out on Michigan Avenue. They're around Michigan and Ohio there. And you can stand out there and you'll know cold first. You'll be on a first name basis with cold. So, um, Nancy, let's do questions and answers. Well, Harlan, <clears throat> Harlan, just say that Sue L and I. Oh, Sue L. Okay, yeah. Sue. 
Where yes. are you? If you're I'm here, ready. I'm ready to go. You, obviously. But yep, uh, I'm let's ready, get I'm you ready going. to go. Okay. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Um, and um, please, if you would uh, raise your hand electronically, or if you're calling in on your cell, you can star nine, or you can put your questions in the chat. Um, and please, this is the time for questions. If you would please keep them concise and short uh, so that uh, we can get as many answered as possible. So um, I'm going, I have a few questions already in the chat for you, Harlan. Um, please repeat the chapters you said 